to Rappling the Tone of Brass. I'm Carson Sestouli. This is Fangraphs Audio. Periodically on the program, I have spoken to people doing analytical work in other sports with a view to better understanding the state of analysis in those sports, and also perhaps, perhaps not, but perhaps, considering ways in which the analysis occurring in other sports might be relevant to the game of baseball. Uh, in any case, today represents just such an episode. My guest on this edition of Fangraphs Audio is Harrison Crow. Harrison Crow of American Soccer Analysis. Crow's appearance on the program allows the host, uh, if not necessarily the listener, then at least the host, to accomplish two tasks simultaneously. To become better acquainted with soccer analytics, the current state of soccer analytics, and also to learn more about what appears to have become a pretty exciting league in Major League Soccer. We begin by discussing the parity of competition in MLS, a quality which is not possessed by the top European leagues. We move on to address a variety of metrics and or concepts and the players and or teams that best illustrate those metrics and concepts. For example, Toronto FC's Sebastian Giovinco in the myth of finishing skill, Giovinco and the myth, the myth of finishing skill, Ilsenio and what constitutes a successful dribble is one, is one uh, idea we address. And finally, the whole, all of Sporting Kansas City, the whole club, all of Sporting Kansas City and the value of shot volume. And perhaps simultaneous to that, uh, the relative unimportance of a target striker. Another way of thinking of that question. Um, <clears throat> we will get to all of those matters uh, briefly. In the meantime, it is both my pleasure and also my professional obligation to announce that Fangraphs memberships exist. For reasonable sum, readers of Fangraphs.com can support the great work that appears in those electronic pages. And for a slightly less reasonable sum... Not unreasonable, but slightly less reasonable. Those same readers can acquire what is known as an ad-free membership, which allows one to browse Fangraphs.com without the burden of banner ads, not only facilitating faster loading speeds, but also liberating one from the tyranny and distortive effects of advertising. Fangraphs membership and ad-free membership, available at Fangraphs.com by going to that URL and then doing some minor sleuthing is all it requires, just some minor detective work. You are your own Endeavor Morse. That advertisement now complete. We will move on to the conversation. What is it? It is Fanger Saudi. Who does it feature? Harrison Crow of American Soccer Analysis. And when does it begin? Right now. combination uh, statement and then question because sure. in large part it, it explains why you're here right now okay but i'm sure i'm not uh, this is not unique to me i'm sure i'm sure like other people my interest in soccer uh, waxes and wanes and uh, I, at certain points i've been very devoted to watching it uh, at other times especially uh, the fact that i have a one-year-old i have been maybe less interested in uh, in that time uh, watching it because i've had other things to do However, uh, the World Cup is certainly good at uh, kind of rekindling interest in it. So I knew that as the domestic league started up this year in Europe that I would have some interest in watching. However, one of the things that has, I suppose, always nagged at me about the European leagues is that uh, there is a very strong correlation between the spending capacity of a club and that club's ability to win. And I, I don't know how many consecutive years Bayern Munich has won in Germany, for example, but there's a good bet they're going to win this year. La Liga would either be Barcelona or Real Madrid. Uh, in France, it's almost certainly, in Liga, it's almost certainly going to be PSG. The Premier League has maybe, what, at any given time, three to five clubs 
uh, that could win the championship, and that might even be optimistic. It's almost certainly going to be Manchester yeah, City. Yeah, it's almost certainly going to be Manchester City this year. <laughs> right, yeah. And then Italian League, I guess, um, it would, you know, it's probably going to be Juventus, a team that I despise because they have one of the sort of least interesting, I guess, uh, they're just boring to watch, and they're good. They they are boring, but they, at the same time, they have very interesting means that which that they've assembled their team over the last few years. So well, okay, all right. So I will allow the possibility. I can be convinced that Juventus is interesting to some degree. However, the point is they're probably going to win the league, also, and it's frustrating. I think there's something frustrating about knowing who the winner will be. That sort of runs contrary to the chance element that exists in games. However, Major League Soccer while perhaps uh, we're almost certainly possessing less talent than any of the aforementioned leagues, has this one huge advantage. I, it, it seems to me, as someone who is not very familiar with the league, but at least somewhat familiar with it, is that there is actually a sort of question mark as to who, if not who the best club is, when the season begins, it's not, it's not a foregone conclusion about who will win either what the Supporter Shield, which is regular season, success or the MLS Cup, which is the, given to the uh, the winner of the playoffs. Is that a correct assessment on my part? <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, okay. it, I mean, a salary cap league kind of does that to to a certain degree. Although, I mean, you look at the NBA, that's much less of a thing. I think there's there's multiple influences, right? I, uh, I'll concede that. What are they? <laughs> uh, number one, there's an international market. You can bring, you can almost, uh, you alluded to it, right? Uh, MLS not necessarily has the best players, so there's a much better pool of players in which you can always bring in. So, with that being stated, you can just go out and get does your striker underperform and not score as many goals as you want go get someone who's better there is not another lebron james out there you know for cleveland to replace lebron james with there is not another chris sale out there uh necessarily in germany that you know uh the yankees can go and get to counter boston it's just it's very limited right when you we're talking about domestic sports usually uh now for mls you can only have 3 of those players plus you have some tam things some some funky things that you can do with the with the salary cap to kind of get uh certain players such as uh Zlatan Ibrahimovic on your team so that's always uh convenient when you can alter salary caps a little bit to, to make it fit. But ultimately, you know, you're, you're limited to these game changing, these game altering talents. So, right now you say you're only allowed to have three such players. These are what, these are designated players whose salaries are, are uh, not counted towards the salary cap essentially. Yeah. After a certain point. So there's a minimum, a league minimum, I think it's uh 500 K or something just over that, that it no longer counts towards the salary cap. So everything under that 500, it does uh, everything above the team is responsible for paying. So. What have been? Sorry, I'm going to ask a number of naive questions along the way, if that's all right. Please do. Uh, what have like? Who are the the most highly paid players in the in the league right now? Oh my goodness, that's a that's a great question. Uh, Josie Altador, who uh, American players, which seems a little bit odd, are really uh, you might even say overpaid, mm-hmm. um, which helped bring them to the league. Obviously, um, especially when you consider, you know, they could be playing abroad. But, you know, Josie Altador, Sebastian Javinko, David Villa, uh, Michael Bradley, uh, Bastian Schweinsteiger, those guys are pretty much fill out the, the top uh, 10. So they make anywhere between five to six million, roughly. Okay, all right. So you're, so wait, so you're saying that, that maybe there's a premium being played for American 
players is that essentially maybe to at some level to keep them from playing abroad because it's is it what is there something embarrassing about having the best players playing abroad to some degree no i don't think that i I think part of it is uh domestics don't necessarily count against your your roster so there's part of that there's also the fact that um you're drawing more eyeballs to your team you know eyeballs are are good especially we know when you play a league that's maybe not as publicized as Mm -hmm. you know the nhl or you know you're competing with you know the nba and nfl through all the different seasons you know they play from march until you know november so you're pretty much competing with every league at some point so you know garnering more attention is always a good thing and so yeah there's a there's a little bit of uh there's a little bit that that plays into that is it also more i mean because outdoor seems like a, a correct me if i'm wrong a player who maybe is still in his prime and it maybe doesn't have his presence on a team doesn't necessarily have the same connotations as, I don't know, like the acquisitions of, well, a number of players. I mean, uh, Beckham, Kaká, David Villa, who have been excellent in European leagues, but who are older and in the MLS can at some, at some level for maybe the uh, more cynical minded, it's uh, sort of essentially as a, uh, a retirement for them. Yeah. I, so yeah, definitely bringing someone into their prime. I mean, that's uh, Sebastian Javinko is a really great, you know, example of that bringing somebody in from their prime from a european league josie had kind of fallen on hard times after uh, a couple of uh various transfers he did just really bad and did he play for watford at some point uh i don't believe he played for watford but he played for hull and then he sunderland was his last club but he just really oh, right. did not do very well at for um probably for a lot of different reasons that have to do with roster construction as well as tactical usage i think there's the expectation that he's a specific uh player and there's stif- specific connotations with his size that he'd be able to use it versus being more a tactically uh you know finesse type player so right. yeah I, I i think that partly it goes with in different areas of the world, they pl- like to play a different style of soccer. England, it's a, it's a little bit more sometimes uh, cross happy, and I don't necessarily think that that's that's really Josie's. Uh, that's that's not never been his game. So pairing him up with you know Giovinco and Michael Bradley was a really smart move, I think. Right, and you're, now you're talking about Tor- Toronto here. Uh, mm-hmm. I believe Toronto won. They won the MLS Cup last year. Is that right? Yes, they did. They, uh, they almost won uh, the Champions League here for uh, Concacaf, which is the North American tournament. Right, and and it, during which they would compete with teams from Mexico and Mexico, also... yeah, Honduras, Costa Rica, everybody that's within Concacaf, which is kind of weird because it's like something thirty some odd uh, nations, most of which are very small in, in stature. So <laughs> you you kind of forget about them sometimes. But uh, yeah, there's some there's some really interesting teams. It's a it's a fun uh, random uh, tournament. Right. Yeah. No. And 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 that's kind of again like this is partially a recalibration for me to understand that there is some legitimacy to soccer on this continent and uh, maybe beginning to understand some ways to enjoy it. Now, you've, you've mentioned the name Sebastian Giovinco a couple times. I'm, I'm familiar with him in, uh, from just like uh, highlights videos of which there are. It's like a, it's an entire genre of, uh, of YouTube video um, <laughs> where there's usually um, there's, uh, some sort of a tired hip hop song playing in the background. Um, yeah, there, the there's about... lots of Kanye West, a lot of utilization of Kanye West in, <laughs> yeah. in, the, in those. And then, uh, yeah, the player uh, executing various uh, dribbling maneuvers, passing, scoring goals, etc. But Juvigo is interesting, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, in the sense that he is an international player. He's from Italy, who is playing MLS in his 20s and is quite good and uh, 
which is not necessarily a description of many other types of players who've played in the league. Uh, he, he did come over in his 20s. So he came over, what, about four or five years ago. Um, and he's now 31. So he is starting to get up in age. Most primes kind of leave there at the the late 20s. So Josie mm-hmm. Altador is kind of hitting the end of his prime. Um, you might even say maybe he's he's left it. I, I, there's a lot of question marks about uh, Sebastian Giovinco and whether or not he's right going for uh, forward for Toronto. Uh, mm-hmm. I know that there's some issues as far as he hasn't scored a goal from open play since I want to say May or maybe even further back. Um, so there, there, there's, there's some things that, you know, you, you could kind of point out, but over the last few years, he's been just incredible. And in that, as you alluded to, he does a lot of fancy footwork. He has mm-hmm. um, a lot of unique methods for opening up space and creating shots, which, yeah, it's a lot of fun. But then he takes those shots. He's just absolutely, he kind of was the uh, the Steph Curry of coming into this league and, and just taking ridiculous amounts of shots and shots not necessarily of a high leverage but uh shots from beyond the 18 yard box and 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 creating just ridiculous goals and his and his conversion rate is higher than you would anticipate based off of no actually he's taking no oh no no, oh, okay. <laughs> uh, that's, I, I think that's that's kind of the fun thing is a lot of people kind of have that assumption that his conversion rate is spectacular. He just takes a huge volume of shots. Oh, all right. Well, that's another way to that's another way to do it. Oh, you you did mention uh, a brief aside, but I think somewhat relevant. Obviously, the concept of aging curves uh, is uh, quite relevant to baseball, um, and certainly for a side like Fangraphs, where. There is um, an attempt to understand the value of a player, both his his true talent uh, and also his his likely production going forward. I have to assume that some work has been done this, or at least some anecdotal work has been done this. And I also have to assume that there are aging that the aging curves are different for different positions in the game. Is that is that a does that seem accurate? Yeah, we've we've done a little bit of work in this. It's it's really hard, and there, it's. <laughs> I think that it's more relative to the amount of minutes that are spent out on the field. The work that I've seen uh, kind of mm-hmm. indicates as such. I, I know that uh, at American Soccer Analysis, which is the, the group that we do, we work commutatively. And uh, I think there's been some different research that has been done in kind of what are the top years for a striker? What are the top years for a midfielder? But then you have to kind of start defining, well, what is top, right? What is What do we value out of the midfield? Because it becomes rather difficult to kind of assign value because different midfields require different things. And that kind of leads back to tactics and, and what you, what you value. Right. Most people value shots. However, that's not necessarily the, uh, the case for every, for every team. Some, some people value possession uh, more than shot creation, um, which sounds kind of crazy. And, and to some respects it kind of is, but uh, the idea being that if you can control the ball, the other team can't take shots. So right, yeah, and I and there there is always this sort of tension, right, between possessing the ball and this sort of like uh, which is a, a sort of way of creating. It's like a defensive strategy on offense um, because mm-hmm. obviously the other team can't score. But ultimately, right, you're looking for however many goals you can create per possession, which is, I mean, that's that's somewhat universal across sports, um, especially invasion. I think they're known as invasion type games, mm-hmm. like basketball, hockey, uh, football, and certainly, uh, certainly soccer is a version of that, 
where to some degree there's going to be an equal number of possessions between the two the two teams that are competing. They, they may not be possessions of the same quality, certainly, but if one team doesn't have the ball, then the other team does almost by definition. But right, so if, to what degree, I guess, possession, an emphasis on possession might actually hurt a team's goal scoring chances. I know that's what I know from watching, you know, like uh, some of Arsene Wenger's teams with Arsenal. Mm-hmm. I feel like that, that was a criticism leveled against them is that they were so intent on creating the perfect chance that they were letting, I guess what, they were letting the perfect be the enemy of the good um, is a way to phrase that. I don't know if that's uh, if that's an accepted thought, um, but that seemed to be something that was always occurring when I was watching Arsenal. No, I think I think that's a, I think that's pretty uh, yeah, that's, that's pretty accurate. Though I do think that there's a level of you know, teams like Kansas City that are going to take so advantage. so Sporting Kansas City. Sorry, I'm gonna I I think it's good if, if, if we're just providing context right to this. So right. Sporting Kansas City. I think they won the MLS Cup in 2013. Maybe does that sound right? The yeah, that sounds yeah. that sounds about accurate. Over yeah, it I sounds think right. Real Salt Lake. Yeah, and I know just from looking at like Sporting Kansas City, they complete a lot of passes. They pass the ball a lot. They complete a lot of passes, um, and I think they're they're having a good season. But it I, it also seems to me that maybe the way they play is a bit more uh, conservative or possession heavy than it is attack heavy. Is that is that right? Yeah. Uh, so they take a lot of shots from distance. They take a lot of shots from distance, and what that does in association with all the possession that they have, it kind of makes it, it's kind of like Russian roulette, so to speak. Only you're putting, you know, either there's there's more places for bullets and there's less bullets. <laughs> Finishing is kind of one of those things that it, it's more about volume mm-hmm. in association with quality than it is necessarily purely about um, skill, right? Um, at a certain level, you know, obviously curveballs are all very, most pitchers can throw a pretty mediocre curveball once you get to the major leagues. So the differential uh, between the mediocre and you know, the really good obviously kind of distance themselves. The same can be said in Major League Soccer with shots, you know, the cream kind of rises to the top. Mm-hmm. Uh, but in regards to sporting Kansas City, they take a lot of uh, long distance shots, just kind of trying to open things up tactically because eventually they know if they take enough long distance shots, they'll hit on it. And eventually they may even get uh, some a defender to move out of place to try to prevent that shot from occurring and they can open up and take a better shot. Um, so that's, it's kind of, uh, it's, it's an interesting chess game because yeah, a lot of teams, I think kind of are moving more and more to try to counter how many shots the other team can create because, uh, shots, it's not the same as in you're talking about possession and, and trying to, uh, take a shot every possession or, or comparatively to your opponents. And I feel like soccer is one of those that they haven't quite caught up to that because there's so few shots in soccer. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah. No, some of what, or, or a lot of the work that you do at American Soccer Analysis is based off of expected an expected goals model, right? Mm-hmm. Which is, um, well, l- allow me to provide a dummy's explanation and then you clean up after I'm done. <laughs> it's essentially, there's a, there's a lot more uh, tracking that goes on in in soccer than occurred like 10 years ago, for example. And so uh, there's essentially, there's a model that exists that uh, I guess what, based off of empirical evidence, attributes to any shot that is taken, uh, the expected, the rate at which a shot from that spot is uh, converted, right? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah. Is that right? Yeah, okay. And so obviously the closer a team is able to get to the goal face, the higher the conversion rate of those sorts of, of shots, right? 
Yeah, as well as, you know, things like, did he shoot with his foot? Did he shoot with the, did, did he try to knock it in with his head? Uh, did mm-hmm. it come in way, via a cross? Was it just a regular pass? Did he dribble in? You know, there, there's, there's lead ups that, that affect the probability, obviously. Um, Is that true? So, so, so you're looking, so in the model itself, you're not only looking at the spot from which it was taken, but whether it was taken from head or foot, for example, or if it came correct. in across or through ball? Correct. Oh, okay. Oh, oh, that's, that's great. And so, so I have to assume that just like a, a long distance shot from outside the box, like the expected goal figure for that type of shot is much different than like on a like a square ball, like a shot taken off of a square ball from like the penalty spot, right? Oh, very much. Yeah. 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 We're, we're talking like 10% maybe. 10% difference. Yeah. Okay. But it's also the long distance shot is also much more readily available than the, than, than playing than off the square ball yes. uh, at the penalty spot. So is that is that just sort of chess match you're saying that Kansas City is playing? And I guess to some degree all teams, but you, we were discussing Kansas City here. Yeah, and, and Sporting Kansas City has been one of the few teams that over the last couple of years has kind of more embraced this this approach. Um, they don't have they haven't regularly invested in uh, a striker, uh, the person that uh, regularly would be the scorer on the team. They're a little bit more financially cash strapped. Um, mm-hmm. Not to say that they don't have money, but they choose to invest it in different manners. So it, it, it's been really interesting to me to see some of the alternative methods that they've been uh, that that they employ to basically be a really good team. And that and that's essentially, I guess, what attempting to find. I mean, we you know we would do, talk about exploiting inefficiencies to some degree. So they're what trying to plumb areas in which you know examine ways in which they could essentially find people to score these goals but not having to compensate them um, at the at the level of not you don't you're not necessarily going out and finding a tried and true striker because i assume that like maybe like a closer in baseball you're paying a premium for that title yeah no exactly and especially we talked we kind of talked about uh, americans kind of being uh for the most part uh they actually are underpaid um, with the exception of the premium, the really good difference makers such as, you know, Clint Dempsey, Josie Altador, for the most part, uh, an individual such as Kyrie Shelton, who's played um, the bulk of the minutes for Sporting Kansas City. He's he's not a fantastic player, but he has a couple of really uh, interesting skill sets that for Kansas City, they work really well. And what it does is it, it helps. Oh, tell me more this. about what's his name? Kyrie Shelton? Yes, Kyrie Shelton. Um, tell me you know, more about Kyrie Shelton. What does he do? Uh, he passes pretty much. I mean, that's not something. So we're. It's funny we're going to be talking a little bit about target strikers and the fact that they've kind of gone out of style because most teams play with uh one striker. He's not interesting at all. He's absolutely bland. Um, he he's a lot like eating oatmeal without putting like uh, brown sugar or raisins on it. However, it's still good for you. It, it's similar to those to those respects. He does a lot of good a lot of things that's good enough and accentuates mm-hmm. other players, uh, enabling people like uh, Felipe Gutierrez, people like uh, you know Johnny Russell, um, who they have chosen to invest on that also function in other respects to the team. You know, it, it helps them out. And this is sorry. This is what team is this? This is Sporting Kansas City. This is Sporting Kansas City. Okay. Okay. So, and, and who is this? Who's this uh, oatmeal player? <laughs> Kyrie Shelton. Kyrie he's, Shelton. He's going to be the oatmeal player. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So Kyrie <laughs> yeah. Shelton is. So yeah. So so what is it that makes him valuable? I I want to I want to get a little bit more on this because do you understand? Like this is I I think probably f- for people who are drawn to fan graphs. You always know that there are players who have like a kind of magic, right? Where they have mm-hmm. a, they have skills which do not immediately 
players who who possess skills that do not immediately announce themselves as being great, but which are somehow tailored effectively, tailored efficiently to to the game in question. And like if you like consider baseball from just over a decade ago, like Kevin Euclid, right? Mm-hmm. Kevin Euclid goes to look at him, you would say this is not an athlete. <laughs> this is no. this is a, this is a sweaty uncle. Yeah, right. He, but he's like he's just like a sweaty guy. But he had uh, whatever it was like. It wasn't just it's not just eyesight. It's um it's the processing speed of his brain, right? Which mm-hmm. is able to distinguish yeah balls from strikes, which it turns out is important not merely for drawing walks, although that's certainly something he did. Uh, it's also really essential to to choosing which p- the pitches at which you swing, because the more centered up the ball is typically, right? The more the closer to middle middle is, the the better the quality of contact. There's a really strong correlation b- between you know, the proximity of the ball to the very middle of the strike zone and uh, and exit velocity, right? Mm-hmm. So so you look at him, you say that's not an athlete. But he has he has this magic, right? He has this like this um, innate ability that suits him perfectly for the game. So maybe what you're suggesting, and maybe you're not saying it about Kyrie Shelton. Maybe there's there's another player we can discuss. But something about Kyrie Shelton, who otherwise is uh, is entirely bland, um, somehow is perfectly suited to at least his role uh, with Kansas City. No, yeah, absolutely, and there, there's actually a, there's there's some really interesting guys around the league uh, that are probably a little bit more <laughs> more on the spot. Uh, Chris Wondolowski has forever been one of those guys that um, I'll hold on to until he can no longer walk onto the field. Chris Wondolowski, Amer- certainly America's right. I think probably most well known, maybe unfortunately, yes, uh, f- for blowing a, a ball in front of an open-ish net against Belgium, was it? Yes, and and, and what's more really uh even more to his detriment uh, that is what he's known for doing best uh not missing but rather finding those opportunities and scoring them um so uh, so that's... he seems to have an innate sense for for what finding finding space near the goal mouth yeah and, and not just that um like you look at his expected passes it's one of the lowest among uh, the attacking players at mm-hmm. nearly 65%, which doesn't necessarily mean he's passing poorly, but rather it means he's trying really dangerous passes, right? right. And with that, his score you know, reflects his success. He has about 130 passes uh, roughly, and he's doing roughly about a 2% score, which doesn't sound really great until you start looking at the fact that he's trying the hardest passes and he's above average at it. Right, and so, and so allow me to clarify this. Now, at the... Um... American soccer analysis, you have, th- I think this is actually part of the, the big expected goals interactive table, right? This is one of the metrics you could find on that, the, this yeah, expected yeah. passes. Mm-hmm. And this is essentially, I guess, what, looking based on the, the location of the origin of the pass and its target? Correct. It just basically exactly like expected goals only for passing. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Th- this pass is, is converted, yeah, 65% of the time. This player happens uh, to convert it 70% of the time, however. And if this player is attempting such passes at volume, then he's going to then you have an, a metric, sort of a companion metric called score, which essentially combines both the the difference between the actual uh, completion and expected completion combines that with volume too, right? So a higher score means um, a better, essentially like a, an ability not only to convert these passes but also with some uh, with some volume. Correct. And, and it's important to kind of uh, understand the limitations as well, right? Um, it's dependent upon not just uh, the passer, but also the receiver. So something to consider uh, as well. But I mean, when those receivers uh, 
are have been interchangeable and the player is still you know performing well these are things that we can kind of extrapolate and say okay well he, he probably still is you know very good at passing then okay so so shelton is one player we discussed wandalowski not only for his capacity to score and might be kind of an ineffable quality he possesses but also um the conversion rate of his passes for what team does wandalowski play Unfortunately, he plays for the San Jose Earthquakes, who are, are not uh, not a very good team, uh, and and they've rather been unlucky. We we uh, had someone post an article um, yesterday, I believe it was, about expected points, uh, mm-hmm. and I, I believe San Jose has uh, some of the worst uh, has lost uh, the most points uh, through just downright misfortune. Okay, so in expected points would be this is another thing that's. Uh, sort of a lot. Do a lot of expected things. What? Yeah, sure. Uh, well, that's, <laughs> that's no, but lo- this is the sort of this is a logical conclusion of expected goals, and because you can also calculate expected goals allowed, right? You can arrive at something like expected points, which should give you sort of like a platonic platonic table, right, of best down to the worst teams. Uh, yeah, yeah, I think so. Yeah. Okay. All right. That's fine. So let's let's talk about a third player. My leaderboard, uh, my various leaderboard sorting. Uh, led me on multiple occasions to a player named Ilsinio. Is that am I saying that right? I, I, I believe so. Yes. I, I, okay. I am the worst person when you start talking about pronunciation. I, I okay. will butcher a player's name. I just want you to know that. Okay. No, that's fair. Yeah. The uh, we'll, we'll we'll call him Ilsinio right now. He plays uh, for Philadelphia, Philadelphia Union. Yeah, he's been at kind of a, a sub part, uh, kind of a sub starter. Okay. Right. Now he now he shows up with among players who played more than you know, 200 minutes or so, he shows up. Not only does he show up with the best passing score per 96 and in the attacking third, which I think is probably, that's, those are the most interesting passes probably, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they pass in the attacking third. Not only does he show up with the, the highest score among semi-regular players, at least, per 96 minutes, he also has an insane conversion rate relative to volume in terms of uh, terms of his dribbles. And, um, and not just that, but, uh, you know, in the final third also, right? Which uh, dribbling, same as everything else, everything gets uh, much more difficult the closer you get to the opponent's goal. Right. And I did not know, and I did not know that, but I'm I'm willing to accept it. Uh, <laughs> okay, fair <laughs> enough. So a dribble, this sort of metric, can you explain like the metric that, I mean, I obviously know what it looks like for a player to dribble. What is it uh, when the metric dribble is used um, in the parlance of soccer analysis? What does that mean? Well, uh, so it could mean a couple different things. And that's... So definitions within the soccer realm kind of suck, uh, to be perfectly honest, mm-hmm. because um, okay. we have our own definitions on stuff in American soccer analysis that don't necessarily mean or meet the same as others. But uh, basically, okay. uh, in this connotation, uh, dribbles is just an attempt to beat another opposing player in possession through keeping the ball, right? So basically, they're doing some sort of maneuver to get past an opposing player. Uh, mm-hmm. And a successful dribble just means that he got past that player while retaining possession. An unsuccessful one means that he lost possession uh, okay, while right. trying to outmaneuver the player. And while there are obviously dribbles can come in uh, various shapes and sizes, it's probably hard to be well acquitted by this metric to, to record a number of successful dribbles without having some manner of impressive skill on the ball. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I, yeah. I would think uh, by large amount, yeah, generally. Right. So according to, uh, I'm using who scored dot here. I don't think that's, I'm not telling Taylor, that's not uh, inappropriate for me to do that, right? To cite who scored? No, no, I don't think, okay. I think that's the, the, the most co- common uh, worldwide used uh, site. 
Okay, so uh, Alfonso Davies is number one by this by this metric per ninety minutes by, by a lot. Yeah, now I've watched Alfonso Davies play. He's only seventeen. Thinking what? He's a native of Ghana who has Canadian citizenship. Is that right? Yeah, and I, th- I believe he w- uh, relocated to Edmonton, went through the Vancouver Whitecaps uh, uh, Academy, and uh, yeah, he's a really neat story. He, he's actually he can't win the Player of the uh, of the game that is voted upon by the Vancouver fans because it's sponsored by a beer, and so he's never won their uh, their MVP uh, a game MVP. But he would likely de- have deserved it on multiple occasions, right? Yeah, on multiple occasions, <laughs> it's it's a it's an ongoing joke. Yeah, so I so I um, in my sort of um, uh, newfound interest here in in the league, I've watched at least one Whitecaps game, and I have to say he's very impressive to watch. He goes by he goes by players a lot. He leads the league in uh, successful dribbles per ninety minutes. He over five of them, and that's twice as many as unsuccessful. That's more than twice as many as unsuccessful dribbles for him. So you could say, like, so his overall success rate is, you know, like seventy percent roughly, and he's also attempting them in great volume. So a valuable player. Yes, absolutely, especially be uh, and and right the. Uh, really successful at a young age, which increases his value to uh, his team because there's an international market, right? Right. Well, of course, right. I mean, how much with regard to Davies here, um, this is a conversation about El Sino superficially, but uh, with regard to Davies, how how much longer do you think he'll be playing in MLS? Well, uh, it's been uh, announced that he will go to uh, Bayern Munich uh, in the winter uh, transfer window. uh, Oh, okay. uh, He's already been purchased for, I think it was $12 million dollars. And uh, with uh, upwards of uh, 20 million in, in incentives, so a, a substantial, uh, really a, a f- kind of a franchise-altering transfer because uh, you know Vancouver's able to reinvest that. It's not uncommon for players to go abroad and just kind of disappear. Do you have a sense of what Bayern Munich's? How, I mean, I, I don't think he's no, he's no. I think that's the fr- that's a really good question because I, I think that's been the topic kind of floating above everything else is what will happen to him once he reaches Bayern Munich because obviously he's not going to go directly into the senior team. He's a, he's a great, outstanding young player, but how does he not get lost in an organization right. that's as massive and and as successful as they are? And, and the hope and the dream is that he they loan him out to another team with uh, mm-hmm. very specific goals that he can contribute, that he'll be a factor in. And then after that loan spell, um, he'll come back to the club. They'll reevaluate him, probably put him on on track for another loan spell. And then after that, after a couple of years, he might um, have an opportunity to impact the, the senior roster. But um, the reality is, and it, this is the frustrating thing, is Bayern Munich doesn't have to wait for him to become what they hope. Ultimately, they can go out and just buy whoever they need for that occasion because, you know, they're a massive organization. So what his future holds is a little bit a little bit foggy right now. It'll be really interesting. And I think that that's going to be something that really shapes future American as well as Canadian purchases. Are they going to loan him out to Werder Bremen? Uh, you know, that that would make a lot of sense. I don't know if that's necessarily the true or not, but uh, I've heard some different teams such as that rumored. What about Fortuna Dusseldorf? <laughs> are you just, are you, do you just have a list of, na- of like German teams that you're just... You don't know that. You don't know that about <laughs> I don't, me. I don't, but I, I, I'm, I'm theorizing. Yeah, you might, yeah, you might be right. What about St. What about St. Pauli? I like St. Pauli. Do you? Why do you like yeah, them? Yeah, they're... I'm curious. They're, they're, Is it the beer? They're little anarchists over there, and they got the skull and bones. Yeah, I mean, I'm 
I'm an idiot. I don't don't trust what I say. But uh, I had a uh, when I was living in uh, Northampton, Massachusetts. I had my neighbor across the street, who was uh, at UMass getting a PhD or was a professor, maybe I forget. He was from uh, he was from Hamburg. His name was Franz Schlieger, and uh, I actually hosted a uh, a radio show about soccer. No, Frank. His name was Frank, and we would uh, do what would we do? Frank Schlieger's what would we do? Thank, 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 Frank. No, I don't know. I forget. But anyways, he told me about all about Saint Pauli and their uh, sort of um, the club culture there. So I thought that was fascinating. I guess to some degree. I think there's a lot of different. Uh, I mean, anytime you have an organization that's older than you know a hundred years, I mean, there's there's a lot of different interesting stories. I mean, there's a lot of yeah. great stories about the Yankees and the Red Sox and you know teams that have uh, you know been staples. The Pittsburgh Pirates have tons of them. I don't think know. there's that many great stories about the Yankees. I disagree. Yeah. <laughs> 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 All right, fair, fair enough i won't fight I mean, you on that <laughs> i mean maybe that they're jerks is that what you're looking for no I, that's why i actually i'm a little bit how sore, do you not get hate uh, mail like that like we get hate mail and we're a small podcast we're a small little organization if we don't talk about atlanta we get hate mail how do you not well have, no like angry yankee fans just allow me to your... uh, well first of all allow me to explain is that uh in particular i was chafed uh just today because jay jaffe uh, wrote a uh, wrote a three thousand word pion to uh, to the nineteen ninety eight Yankees and <laughs> in the year nineteen ninety eight uh, the Boston Red Sox their success was correlated very strongly to my my happiness um, oh. <laughs> or reverse maybe maybe the reverse my happiness uh, was based largely on their success and so um, having to edit three thousand words of that um, I consider it to be a, a hostile gesture on on Jay Jaffe's part. That, that's uh, I I, I kind of like that. That's we we have a, a similar situation with my editor uh, Drew Olson, and when I write about um, things that oppose his uh, Portland Timbers, so. Oh, okay, yeah. No, I actually lived in Portland, Oregon before the Timbers were quite popular, but uh, this is before they were in MLS. But I did sit among the Timbers army on a few occasions. I admired their enthusiasm. <laughs> that's the, that's the, that's all I'll say. <laughs> I didn't uh, wasn't in love with every aspect of the. Uh, of that, uh, the culture with that. Uh, and and but, now you're going to get hate mail, not only from the New York Yankees, but oh. also Portland Timber fans. So congratulations. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, well, guess what? If you get a, if you get a letter from a Portland Timber fan, first of all, they've written it with a quill pen. <laughs> and uh, second of all, it's probably using some manner of antique postage stamp. It may not even get here, so I'm not too worried. Now Merritt Paulson's going to block you on Twitter. Congratulations. <laughs> he was, uh, for, for a bit, he was... Uh, um, he was an enemy of the city, I know, um, at least for especially for people who follow baseball, because he kind of uh, scooted the Portland Beavers, which was a AAA affiliate of the San Diego Padres at the time. He kind of scooted them out of town. I, I don't think that he's been very, uh, very kind to their hopes to, to get a major league baseball team, although I don't uh, necessarily I am not super familiar with that whole situation. But uh, yeah. Yeah. No. Yeah. I don't. It, it was I, I would go to. Triple, I would go to the Portland Beavers games. I mean, it's AAA baseball, and there'd be like nobody there. But like you know, Portland in early, like in late April, is not very fun. Portland, Portland, Oregon in late April. Now, where do you live? You, don't you live in Seattle? Is that true? Uh, I I live south of Seattle in Tacoma, so I travel down okay. to Portland oh, yeah, sure. for for work uh, every once in a while, and then back up to to Seattle for work as well. So I'm kind of located neatly in between. Yeah, no, sure. I'm uh, familiar with Tacoma. I lived I, uh, in addition to having lived in Portland, I lived in Seattle for a year with a couple of boys. The Doctor Brothers. I don't know if you know the Doctor Brothers, but uh, uh, I, I'm not familiar. But I'm sure they're fine individuals. They're from Tacoma originally, at least. Is uh, and uh, no, a very nice area. But I mean, Tacoma, Seattle. It's, it's sort of the same thing. It's not. It's not the most pleasant place to be uh, in April and May. 
and then around July fourth, everything's sunny. I, I think it's all about it's all about what you desire, right? I I have spent years uh, traveling through the military, and I mm-hmm. miss rain. I miss rain. So when we moved back, we moved back to uh, that's Washington. That's a perversion. Freud, I mean, Freud would have a field day with you. He'd say, what, look, what's wrong with this man? Uh, <laughs> He's looking for I, rain. I, Freud would have so many different issues with me and that we wouldn't yeah, even get okay, through right. to the weather. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> the, yeah. Yeah. So I grew up in Washington, um, joined the military, uh, came back. It, it's 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 been a trip. So um after spending well i don't necessarily know where you were stationed at and i don't know if you're uh, if it's anything you want to discuss but i do know that there uh, that a number of the places where uh military is stationed um are quite dry famously dry montgomery alabama dry but uh wet at the same time oh yeah dry but wet yo yeah montgomery's got a lot going on they do uh, the montgomery biscuits yeah. are uh fantastic when they're not mm-hmm. uh hurling insults at uh millennials but it's really great um, to be back home just because I don't have to deal with obnoxious heat. And that yeah. honestly oh, no, that's, is, yeah. I will take the rain uh, any, any day over obnoxious um, heat. Yeah, no, that is uh, quite true. All right. So we were talking about, so that's, that's a brief aside about a <laughs> more than brief aside about <laughs> Alfonso Davis. He is, he is truly compelling uh, viewing though. And as we were saying here, he's converts his dribble attempts at a very high rate, but who, uh, who is right behind him in the leaderboards in terms of, successful dribbles but il Senio, this player whom we just discussed is having also one of the top conversion rates on his passes in the attacking third so just putting those together i'm inclined to believe as someone with no with no great knowledge of the league that el Senio was one of the best players in all of mls soccer is that true i i think that you'd have philadelphia union fans uh also sending you hate mail uh oh. but for various reasons i i i <laughs> I think he's an interesting player. I think he has his place um, mm-hmm. within the confines of a team. And I think that he's kind of found his niche coming off the bench in the sense that mm-hmm. he fulfills uh, certain attacking qualities that might uh, be detrimental to a team early on when you have to not just play on the attack, but also play uh, defense. And okay. th- th- those, those <laughs> the are part of the game. Yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah. You have to play both sides, and and that's really important. You know, uh, it's not just necessarily how good you are in the attack, but also being able to play both sides. If you actually look at some of the different uh, players, and Elisinho is kind of interesting in the sense that he's one of the few attackers that's uh, so far up uh, the the per one hundred score, uh, per mm-hmm. one hundred passes, his uh, average above what it is expected. He's really one of the only attackers up there. And the other one uh, who's just ahead of him is uh, Nicholas Ladero, who, who also is kind of interesting because he uh, he does do both sides of the ball. He's a little bit more like Elisinho uh, if Elisinho did the things that he was supposed to do. Uh, okay, all right. So, and, and Ladero is an interesting player. Ladero is also an interesting player. Um, I'd like to ask a couple questions about him in a moment. But I would also uh, draw some attention to a post and, and this is you directed my attention to this by one of your colleagues, Kevin Shank, uh, entitled Skillzinho, question mark, uh, redefining what a successful dribble is, right? Yeah. And um, this is this is a, a post about um, El Sino. And it sort of uses uh, this one interval of play uh, as the starting point, which is El Sino going by what appears to be an, an opposing left back down the right flank, getting ahead of that defender uh, on his way to goal, and then attempting to play a square ball to a teammate, but it's maybe either it's a it's a poor decision or it's poor execution, but it falls at the foot of of the opposing like of another defender. 
So there's this great moment of play, uh, but then ultimately it ends of nothing. And this is actually, uh, Kevin Shank uses this to look at what might be, what he re- refers to as effective dribbling, as opposed to just dribbling on its own. Does it, does it actually lead to something? Yeah, and absolutely, right? Because like, ultimately, you can do a lot of really good things, but if it doesn't culminate in, in some manner, uh, it, it really doesn't help the team, right? And that's mm-hmm. ultimately one of the things that we're trying to analyze when, when we're doing our expected passes, when we're doing, um, I know a couple of guys have uh, expected possessions that they're starting to look at uh, the progression chains of uh, how frequently a team is turning you know, their passes into effective means of attack, not just from in the final third, but also going uh, more from the, from the aspect of the full field. So, you know, Kevin Schenk is a smart guy. He actually just got hired by U.S. soccer. So he is, uh, uh, he is helping uh, the U.S. men's national team. And, and oh, okay. Oh, very stuff. cool. So he's a smart guy, smart, 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 smarty pants. Now, the leader of um, when Shank was looking at these uh, players and effective dribbles, he was, he was looking, at, again, at the, at the results of, of these dribbles, what they led to. And it looked like it was a, it was a player named David Ackham. Is yeah. that right, David uh, Ackham? David Ackham, yeah. David Ackham, okay, sorry. No, I think is a, is a, he's, he has some uh, caps with the Ghanaian national team and actually currently plays with Philadelphia, but I believe at this point he might have been a member of the Chicago Fire. Yes. Um, but looking him as a player whose dribbles actually uh, produced the, the most, at least this was as of July of last year, who had produced the most. What kind of player is uh, David Akam? He is a speedy, uh, crafty winger um, mm-hmm. that can definitely get by players, get into, uh, you might say, the end line and make that, pat, that, uh, that square ball, as you say, uh, back into the, into the box that helps uh, create. And this, this was really effective in his time with Chicago, especially with uh, uh, Nikolic, who is the striker for Chicago, who mm-hmm. uh, since Akam's transfer has uh, really seen his effectiveness kind of dry up. And that's mostly due to Akam's uh, successfulness. Although, ironically, um, despite the fact that he moved to Philadelphia, and Philadelphia obviously having a, a pension for, for using these types of players, Akam's not been necessarily as effective as uh, as he had previously. And, you know, it, it, it's kind of an interesting uh, quandary when you start thinking about he was really effective, mm-hmm. but we look at his underlying stats and we say, well, he was really effective but he was also much higher. He did a, uh, a lot better than what we might expect. And, and certainly that surplus value is great when you're looking at, uh, at it from a past tense. But looking right, at it from, it's, uh, it's already in the can, you could say. Right, exactly. Right. And so looking at what can we uh, expect from the future, the other side of the coin is he's now been under what we might expect. So right. the hope is that he might rebound. But yeah, it, he's, kind of a, he's kind of an interesting guy because if he's able to effectively beat those players off the dribble, then he becomes uh, exceedingly valuable. And um, as his speed kind of decreases with his age, that's probably a skill set that will be less good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I assume, again, like we're talking about um, aging curves for wingers in particular, I'd have to think that because it's so tied to athleticism and and pace, that they start experiencing age-related decline earlier than almost everyone else. Right. And he, I mean, he's 27. I wouldn't, uh, I still think he has incredible pace. I just think that he's been 
a little unlucky and more less him being unlucky, more of uh, CJ Sapong, although that's a, that's a different, um, that's a different discussion. Um, wait, who's CJ? Wait, say CJ, say the name again. CJ Sapong, who is... Who's that? Uh, he is uh, a striker for Philadelphia Union who has been either awful um, in mm-hmm. in one's estimations or um, completely unlucky. He is uh, almost six goals uh, to the negative of what his expected goals would be. Um, he's... Oh, got- I see. Okay, yeah. So, so this is essentially... Uh, what expected goals minus goals? Correct. Or if you do goals minus expected goals, he has a negative six. Yes, uh, yeah, five point eight if you want to get technical, but <laughs> okay. yeah, I mean, effectively, he's underperforming, and so um, why he's underperforming is has been a heated debate on on the internet's and the twitters. Uh, there, <laughs> there's a lot of different things that you could probably associate it with, from the placement of his shots to. Uh, just even getting shots on target and his uh, his finishing skill. Uh, I don't like to say finishing skill very frequently. Um, but why why don't you like to say it? I I I, I personally think uh, looking at the studies, uh, finishing isn't a dramatically it, it's not a dramatically influencing skill uh, as much as everybody thinks it is. You know, uh, we we kind of label it down to these uh, to these moments. I, I've kind of been writing a, a column this past year talking about lowered expectations and taking high quality or high uh, leverage opportunities that uh, expected mm-hmm. goals values highly, but were missed opportunities and why those were missed opportunities and why the why the model either overvalued them or in some cases the player just was just unlucky. And in a lot of cases, it, it's small things. And when you have small things happen repeatedly, I tend to chalk that up to being unlucky. So, so you th- you think from, from your observations of um, I guess what both anecdotally with your eyes and and performing this lowered expectations exercise on a weekly basis that combined with the research that has been done, you think that there is a strong pull of regression to to this expected goals figure for a player? I do. There's a there's a certain level of, uh, at a certain point, you just have to kind of rate, wave the flag and say, maybe this is legitimately, legitimately a, a player that uh, doesn't kick the ball well, um, mm-hmm. which, you know, for a soccer player, that, that seems to be a really defining talent. Right. It's, it seems like it would be difficult for a player to reach that highest level with what, <laughs> what you would describe as like a major, a really fundamental weakness, being uh-huh. able to strike the ball. Right. And, and right. Uh, you know, you, you, when you start getting into, you know, the higher leagues, obviously p- players like, you know, uh, Messi and uh, Cristiano Ronaldo and, you know, players of that stature, I mean, they, they, they're very good at kicking the ball, uh, as you mm-hmm. as you might guess. Very good. Yeah. But um, when you're talking about a cap league and you're talking about, uh, you know, talent that's so closely kind of squashed together within MLS, mm-hmm. the differential it, it, in that gap is much smaller. And so having one player with uh, a defining skill set such as that is unusual. I mean, less right. so for like Zlatan Ibrahimovic or David Villa, who are both, you know, international amazing players. But it should be noted that actually, uh, if we're looking at this goals minus X goals, right, or expected goals, that uh, actually Ibrahimovic ranks second by that particular metric. His expected goals is uh, only at 9.6, mm-hmm. uh, whereas overall goal total is 15. So that might lend some. Um, weight to an argument someone might take that striking the ball in a particularly skilled way would have some influence on this particular metric. 
Yeah, and absolutely. I mean, obviously it does, right? There, yeah. There's certain players that are, and that's been proven, but mm-hmm. um, the repeatability, uh, will will that player be able to repeat that next year? When you start looking at finishing rates, uh, mm-hmm. which are just how many times you put the ball in the back of the net relative to how many shots you take, they're rather chaotic and they fluctuate greatly over the uh, year over year. And, and most goal scorers correlate more to uh, volume mm-hmm. than necessarily um well just, getting yourself just... get the player getting himself into position is Correct. is a huge skill also one that's more repeatable and i suppose is um, less prone to some vagaries of or to, to a number of other factors like actually converting the shot is right yeah i mean if they're going to get themselves in a really good position nine times and they miss that six times more likely they're going to continue they're going to continue to make more than they're going to miss I, you, right. you can't necessarily bet they're going to continue to miss those that quality shot it just it's it's unlikely interestingly a, a few of the players we've already mentioned on this are on the other side of the, the leaderboard from from Ibrahimovic. This is goals minus expected goals. So you're sort of looking at that difference. What what you might call misfortune, largely a product of misfortune. Sebastian Giovinco, yeah, is one of the laggards, I guess, by that particular measured measure. We did mention Dempsey. He's among them. Kyrie Shelton, uh, Oatmeal, <laughs> Kyrie Oatmeal Shelton uh, is down there as well. As is as is David Akam, which is probably not surprising given the fact that um, you say he's had a, disapp- a disappointing run. And Chris Wondolowski is also uh, towards the bottom of that particular laggard laggard board or uh, on that particular laggard. Yeah, board. you know, I find the more the more interesting players uh, that are in the negative are uh, uh, than they are uh, in the plus. Um, right. Well, th- this so this reminds me. Let's maybe let's make an a. We're gonna make we're gonna make. It's an analogy. That's the that's the word for okay. which we're looking. It's an analogy. Uh, let's look at a, a player's um, ERA uh, versus his his FIP, his fielding independent pitching. Right. Right. We expect always. Uh, we expect in most cases a player a pitcher's ERA to regress towards uh, his his FIP figure. Um, we know that there is um, some room for negotiation here because. Some pitchers do have a skill that allows them to keep the ball in the park. For example, if they allow a lot of, uh, if they're able to induce a lot of pop-ups, that they're able to typically outperform their FIP numbers. There are players who underperform it, though. And that seems like maybe uh, we're, it's roughly in the same sort of territory what we're discussing here with goals versus expected goals. Is that is that an appropriate analogy, you think? Yeah, and I think that also there's a couple other things to factor in, right? There's There's set pieces, and then there's also penalty kicks. So um, using our handy-dandy uh, interactive graph, you can actually strip penalty kicks. Penalty kicks are extremely I want to skip them out. I want to skip them out, strip them out. Yeah, well, absolutely. You do. And, and not to discount it or uh, discount the player for, for scoring a goal. Obviously, as you said previously, it's in the can. You know, it, mm-hmm. it's, it, it's important that he scored that goal in that time. However, looking for, you know, repeatability of that action, um, it, it, it's just not necessarily something you you can rely upon right uh, whether or not that referee calls that foul in that manner or the next referee calls the the same penalty in that manner it, it's it's very chaotic so you know uh, we have two different means of uh, forecasting that so we have expected goals for the player and then we have expected goals for the team um, and whether or not those teams 
pull down uh, a penalty are a little bit different. But uh, looking at it, when you strip those penalty kicks, things kind of come down and, and drop a little bit dramatically when it comes to okay. comes to those. And, and that's really important, especially when you look at guys such as maybe Joseph Martinez, who's a fantastic striker. striker. for Atlanta. For Atlanta, yeah. yes. A very common uh, person that we, we talk a lot about on the, on the MLS Twitters. Um, mm-hmm. because of just his outstanding skill at uh, scoring goals. He is uh, three goals above what we would expect him to to score. Um, and that's even outside of his penalty kicks. But if you include his penalty kicks, then, you know, things start getting a little bit hairy and um, it, it becomes easy to kind of lose sight of how good he's been. Um, he's been very good. What does he do? What does he do? Well, can you talk about what Joseph Martinez, striker for Atlanta, does well? Yeah, he he gets angry and, and kicks the ball. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> sometimes he headbutts people, but that's that's neither here nor there. He's very good about sitting on the shoulder of different defenders, and he's so very fast and he's so very agile. And combine that with uh, the skill of Miguel Almiron, who is uh, the playmaker for Atlanta. Um, both are uncannily gifted at just uh, that mental telepathy between the two. They have mm-hmm. a very great connection. They've been able to beat defenders repeatedly in basically counterattack. So we talked about early on in the in the podcast, talking a little bit about how it makes sense to kind of try to do, I guess, even out how many shots, you know, for per possession. They tend to kind of sit back and absorb the attack from the opposing team because then they can launch a, a counterattack and basically with Joseph Martinez's speed and uh, Miguel Omeron's precision with passing, they can put passes in behind that defense um, to and create one-on-ones and uh, two-on-one situations that expected goals can't necessarily, um, it doesn't take into account how many defenders that are there influencing the shot. And because of that, he's able to get you know better opportunities to score goals. And that last year, uh, combined with this year's numbers, have, have proven to to put Martinez ahead of a lot of his peers because of that. Okay, all right. So give me a, give me a couple more names or or just teams so that when I because I, I need a, a sort of heuristic, right? Yeah. Um, by, by which to to enter the league to kind of curate my watching because I I only have so many hours. No, uh, absolutely. This, right. So you know we we've talked a lot about Alberta Lease. Uh, around our uh, our slack, he is he is an interesting player because uh, he is That's, uh, uh, Albert hot and with an cold. H at the end. Is, is that yes, right? Albert, Albert with an H at the end. Yes. Okay. For the, the Houston Dynamo, he is a winger, and uh, he beats. Uh, he he probably would also be on that dribbling list uh, that okay. I imagine you were looking at earlier. Um, yeah, he's I want that very, guy. I want those talented. guys. Okay. Yes, he's very, very talented at beating uh, defenders. He's been less successful at putting those great opportunities in the back of the net. Although he has scored eight times, expected goals would have expected that to be um, a little bit higher. Uh, they have him okay. for 12. So obviously, maybe not great, but he's a very exciting individual uh, with his speed and uh, at which he just, you know, bears down on defenders. It's, it's a lot of fun. So I'm going to look at Albert, Albert Elise, maybe, on, on Houston. Dribbling, he's dribbling, he's good. 
the, that, that, I mean, right. So, I mean, that if you're looking for players and, you know, some people are, are inclined to watch for specific players. The other side of the coin is if you're looking for teams, uh, you know, we, I, I ripped off your nerd scores and have been using it. Oh, you can't my... rip those off. No, that was, uh, uh, no, but you're right. I mean, we all want to know what, what, what makes for compelling viewing, right? Yeah. And you, you did, uh, some work on watchability rankings and I thought you attempted to, the way you attempted to answer the question is pretty great. I'll go through quickly points per game for, on the team level, player expected goals. That's what I look at how frequently a team had a player who had more than 0.3 expected goals from open play. So you want to just see the quantity of players in a particular game who did that. Yeah. That right? Yeah. How many times did Alberto Lise and Romo uh, Kyoto and uh, Mario Montos uh, for Houston, how many times did, did they, uh, did they score above 0.3 in expected goals? Just how many times have they been exciting and dynamic? They're, they're, and they're, uh, now you mentioned Houston, Elise, they're number, uh, they're number one by that measure. They average one and a half players to do that per game. Yeah. They're, like I said, they're a very, very exciting team on the, uh, on the attack, but they have, you know, detriments to the team, uh, that, that hurt their watchability. So unfortunately still one of my favorites. Okay. Total shots in even game states. So that's what zero, zero, not zero, zero, one, one games or whatever mm-hmm. in open play where, where the teams are sort of similarly incentivized to compete. This one I thought was very smart. Uh, the ratio of crosses to through balls where a lower figure is better. I've, I've got hate on that. I've, I've, I've legitimately had people d- disagree with me on that. So really, I, well, I thought it, I thought it was a pretty in- inventive way of thinking about it because a cross seems uh, quite speculative. Like what's the average conversion rate on a cross? Uh, it's something goal? like uh 2%, 3%. That's so depressing. So you know when a guy crosses, you're like, oh, you know, as long as he does it 32 more times, then we'll probably see a goal, right? Right. Yeah. Uh, and what's the conversion rate roughly on a on a through ball? It's really high. Um, okay. I want to say yeah. I want to say a key pass. Uh, so a through ball that leads to a shot has a I think mm-hmm. something ridiculous like a 60 percent rate uh, of success. Oh, 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 that's excellent. All right, fouls. Fouls are the worst. You say so. You're looking for teams. What not only that commit the fewest fouls but also draw the fewest is that right yeah so i mean you have teams uh portland timbers for years have always been a team that's been kind of hacked because they have darlington nagby a guy a player that was very uh, interesting playmaker he drew a lot of fouls and it it, it just became uh, unwatchable sometimes why are you uh, talking about him in the past tense is he dead uh no he's been traded to atlanta uh where oh, all the okay. good players go eventually uh, so uh, Seattle is in a similar position with uh, Nicholas Ladero, who uh, is fouled a lot. Carlos Vela for LAFC also uh, gets fouled quite considerably. So it, it's not just about how many times you hack, but uh, whether or not you have a player that uh, tends to be hacked. Ah, okay, right. Yeah, because it slows down gameplay. Yeah. And you say, hey, let's let's come on, guys. Yeah, my yeah, uh, my friend uh, Ian Lamberson had a had a really good uh, way about describing it. He he referred to it as uh, the people that foul are the people on an elevator that just press all the buttons when you want to get to the top floor. Yeah, yeah, that's that's fouling uh, essentially, Dirks. just yeah. air out of the stadium. Another metric you include is uh, passes. So this is this is a cool metric: passes against per defensive action. This is a way of assessing essentially the the degree to which a team is active on defense. And a defensive action is what like a is like a is a tackle, is an interception, is a foul, etc. I didn't. I took fouls out of this just oh, right. because we're we're already uh, associating, you know, for fouls already. Uh, so mm-hmm. fouls are removed, but uh, yeah, tackles, uh, interceptions, blocks. Right, and then uh, you compare that to the number of passes uh, the other team completes. 
basically opportunities mm-hmm. to make a defensive action. Right, and this is this is a really good proxy, I think, for the amount of pressure what team's defense places on the, the opposition. So if so, if we see like New York, New York City, both the New York teams, Los Angeles FC are both uh, at the top of this this rating in terms of fewest passes allowed for defensive action. I have to think what these are these are pressing teams then. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Especially uh, the New York Red Bulls. The New York Red Bulls, the whole organization, the Red Bull organization, is that's their, their mindset, their ethos. Right. All right. Well, that cre- usually creates for exciting uh, soccer. And then uh, dribbles and uh, team dribbles is the other one you've completed. And uh, I see Montreal's number one. I have to su- assume uh, that has something to do with Ignacio Piatto. Piatti. Is that right? Yes, yeah, Piatti does Ignacio. a lot. They, they they have a they have a couple different uh, individuals on there that uh, that will try stuff, and that's yeah. that's what's fun about it, right? Yeah, it's fun. Yeah, try trying stuff. Oh, it's more fun if if there's a higher likelihood that they'll be successful. True. Um, that that okay. that is that is true. I mean, you see, you guys try something, and then he just gives the ball away. That's uh, that's less. Well, if you're a third party, I mean, it doesn't. It, I mean, more than anything, it it gives you a good moment that says, you know, that's going to end up on YouTube. Right. Yeah, it certainly could. Uh, wait. Oh, yeah. Let's see. On Montreal, uh, leading the team in successful dribbles is is Piatti, but uh, you're right. Uh, Alejandro Silva. Does that name sound familiar yes, to you? Yeah. Uh, yeah. He's a, He's the other. He'd be the other winger from time to time. Also plays a little right. bit on the inside as well. But like Raheem Edwards, Raheem Edwards has like a his conversion rate is like twenty five percent. Yeah. Yeah, he's he's an interesting fella, that Raheem Edwards. So he uh, actually was just traded to uh, Chicago uh, a couple of days before the trade deadline, and uh, oh. s- something that um, which is kind of interesting in the in the respect that Chicago has been trying to fill David Akam's void since he was traded to Philadelphia for lots of money. So uh, some interesting thoughts there. Do you think Edwards? Do you think he'll do anything? Uh, I do. I, I I'm very interested. So uh, Raheem Edwards has kind of had a, a really interesting last 18 months. He was really successful for Toronto, coming out of uh, their their academy um, and doing some really awesome things in the year that they you know won MLS Cup. Directly after that, there was an expansion draft. LAFC basically leveraged him. Toronto couldn't save all their good players. Raheem Edwards was someone that they chose to leave available. LAFC scooped him up and then traded him for Montreal's best defender, uh, Laurent Simon. And uh, that's so he basically went from Toronto to Montreal, which is a pretty big thing in and of itself. It's a it's a bit of a rivalry between cities. Oh, right. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. So, yeah. And now he's being flipped to Chicago. So he, he's had a very interesting uh, last 18 months or so, give or take. Oh, who's Marco Urena? Ooh, ooh, I like Marco Urena. He is a he he is a he's a better version of Kyrie Shelton, I would probably say. Okay. Um, he, he's, <laughs> he he's he's oatmeal with uh, raisins in it. All right. He's someone that's going to find those opportunities very similar to uh, Carlos Wondolowski, and actually played with Wondolowski last year at the with the earthquakes, um, San Jose. And uh, in the offseason, for unbeknownst reasons, he was left completely uh, available, and uh, LAFC got him uh, for free uh, during the expansion so, draft. Marco Urena has nearly five expected goals, but no actual goals. Correct. Yes. He is among players with more than 100 minutes. He's played roughly uh, nearly 900, so the basic equivalent of 10 full matches. He's the league leader in terms of that difference between goals and expected goals by uh, like per minute, essentially. You, 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 um, in American soccer analysis, you scale it to 96 minutes, which I assume is the what average length of a game with stoppage time. 
Correct. Yes. Right? Uh, well, okay. and part of the reason why he has so uh, few minutes, or at least hasn't had too many in the secondary of the season, is because he went off to the World Cup for Costa Rica. Oh, good job, Marco. And so, uh, yeah, right. Mm-hmm. Um, unfortunately, while he was gone, he also lost his job. Oh, so, so was he uh, even playing at all? So he he re- he's kind of uh, yeah he, he's kind of faded into the uh, into the ether. So he was really interesting from the standpoint of not only was he creating a lot of uh, good opportunities early on in the season, he was also uh, you'll see he has two point two expected assists and actually has four assists in total. He was kind of a playmaking striker, which uh, was fun, especially for that LAFC attack that had uh, you know uh, Benny Fellhaber and Carlos Vela and uh, Diego Rossi, all these uh, all these very attack-minded soccer players uh, crashing the net, and uh, he basically just provided service for them. Uh, And then just his 3.9 expected goals mostly came from crashing on rebounds. And it it was very fantastic um, to watch and very Mm -hmm. surprising that he lost his job to to an individual who uh, Bob Bradley, uh, the coach of LAFC uh, team, brought in Diamande from, uh, from the English Premier League in Hull City. He had previously coached him. And for whatever reason, under uh, Bob Bradley, he seems to be able to score lots and very many goals. Right. Yeah. I think he's had a successful debut in the league, hasn't he? Yeah. And forgive me, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but I want to say outside of, uh, so he hasn't played 50 games yet this season, but roughly in about 50 games for playing for Bob Bradley in his career, he has uh, over 50 goals. Uh, That's nearly a one for one, uh, if my math is correct. Mm -hmm. And he has less than uh, one goal in three games outside of playing for Bob Bradley uh, through the various uh, teams that he's played for since. So uh, something for Bob Bradley, it just clicks for him. And uh, he's been extremely successful since. But uh, yeah. Well, who knows? We don't know. I, I, where did he, I play, sure where did he know. play for Bradley? Did he play where the hole? Uh, no, he played for uh, in in Norway, um, uh, the the team that uh, Bob Bradley coached uh, previous to. Uh, forgive me, he coached Swansea. So before Swansea, uh, he coached... Bradley coached in Norway, huh? Yeah, let me. I, I'm I'm trying to recall. Who was it, it was. Strom Godset it, it was Staubach. Yeah, Star Staubach uh, was the team that he okay. uh, he coached. So oh yeah, it was at Minsk before Belarus. Hmm. I mean, this is uh, Diamande. Okay. Hey, listen. Uh, you, uh, I've kept you uh, far longer than I anticipated, <laughs> um, but uh, I still have uh, very many questions, um, and I suppose I'll just have to harass you by other means, other than this uh, professionally sanctioned one. But uh, Harrison Crow, it's been a real pleasure. Can you tell us? Uh, uh, do whatever sort of promotional work you need to do for yeah. either for yourself or your your website. Uh, AmericanSoccerAnalysis.com is the website that we go, uh, we push all our numbers, all our stats, all our information. Uh, you can find me at on Twitter at Harrison underscore Crow. And uh, yeah, shout out to Matthias Coolwatts, uh, Kevin Minkus, and Drew Olson, who uh, all run the site. So, Well, I've had, uh, since I've been turning my attention towards... Uh, towards the game, I've uh, I've benefited greatly from going to American Soccer Analysis. Um, so thank you for that, and thank you for appearing here, Harrison Crow. Oh, thanks for having me. All right, that is Harrison Crow of American Soccer Analysis. I'm Carson Sestouli. This has been Fangraphs Audio. <laughs>